Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Welcome to Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. But can you say the R word? I don't want to say the R word anymore. You're talking about retire? Yeah, I don't like that. I thought you were pretty much halfway there, two thirds of the way there. Well, two thirds of the way there, but I still don't like the word. (laughs) Obviously, a good friend of ours. uh, I think he caught me by surprise. I don't know if he caught you by surprise. I didn't know that. He He did. He did. Uh, Gene Deckerhoff announcing late last week that he's going to hang it up. We'll, we'll talk about that uh, later in the show. We can do a little bit now, Keith. You, you, I, I think you figured it up. I, I don't know if you have the number, but because you spent 20 years doing basketball broadcasts with them, if I have my math right, times roughly 30 games a year, you did more broadcasts with them than any broadcast partner he had during his illustrious broadcasting career. Very privileged to, to actually say that. It's somewhere around 630 or 640 when you count uh, a few radio games. And of course, both of us were fortunate enough to do television baseball games with Gene for a while. And, um, you know, just great memories about the uh, time with him, uh, a consummate professional. We'll talk more about that, but uh, there's one and only one Gene Deckerhoff. Amen to that. That is true. I was, uh, well, I'll save Gene stories for later, but I was at the baseball game on Sunday, Keith. And uh, it occurred to me, now I did not stay. I left uh, in the fifth inning of the 17 inning game because we had to go pick up Reagan. And uh, anyway, as I got home and the hours rolled on and it was approaching record territory, I thought to myself, you know, Keith and Gene actually witnessed the longest FSU baseball game in history. So uh, rather than tease that one, why don't you share that story and what happened the next day and then we'll move this program along. One of the, one of the, strangest weekends of my broadcast career uh, we were at I believe was it Wake Forest I believe it was Wake Forest Wake Forest and uh, we were going to broadcast the Sunday game of a three-game series so we made arrangements we were doing work with Sun Sports uh, Sunshine Network at the time Gene and I were doing the game so we made arrangements to get up there early to watch the Saturday game and at that time you correct me if I'm wrong because you did games for forever Wake Forest didn't have lights, so they didn't play night games. So the Saturday game started 1 o'clock, plus or minus. So we flew up early. We get up there for the Saturday game. We get all our notes out. We start taking notes. 
And the game just goes on and on and on and on. And we got into inning 18 and inning 19. And, and finally the game was over. And uh, it went, we it said, went wow. 20. It went 20. It went now. 20. It went yeah. 20. And we said, wow, that, I mean, didn't, didn't really process at the time that that was the longest game in AC history. We go get a bite to eat. We go back to the hotel. We start doing some other things. We get up Sunday morning and it's raining. <laughs> and it rained and it rained and it rained some more and they end up canceling the Sunday game. So Gene and I got paid to go watch the longest game in the ACC. And we never went on the air on Sunday, but we did get a check. We did get a check. <laughs> That's the way it works in the 1099 world. I, I knew you'd shared that story before uh, to your point about wake forest and lights. Uh, so I did, I did FSU baseball for seven years, I guess. Uh, when, when Lulu and I would split up the games, he'd take some, I'd take some, I never called a series at wake forest during that seven years, the way it worked out. He always got the wake series on the road. So that's the one ACC baseball stadium I never went to, which I'm but sure. The one good are- thing about wake, the one good thing about wake is they did have, uh, a, a, a broadcast area. They had a press box. You will grin. And if our people were able to see us, you, you would see the big smile on Tom Block's face when I say, there was another school that also didn't have lights, but they didn't even have a press box. And that was Duke. <laughs> we would do those games underneath the proverbial beer tent or, or, you know, the funeral tent, as we called them sometimes from the stands at Duke. Uh, so that was very interesting as well in the baseball arena. Yeah. I, I could share many stories. Lulu could add to it. Uh, we'll pause there. I don't think people want to hear the broad, the baseball broadcast facility stories from over the years. Uh, it has improved. Uh, a lot of, a lot of programs have, have sunk some dollars into their facilities, but anyway, we, the main point of that was to share some gene stories. We'll, we'll share some more later in the program. Bob Ferrante will join us. The football team was back on the practice field yesterday after a break for spring break practice. Number five, we have pro day coming up next week. Uh, as you reflected, Keith is, as you were watching the sunset at Cape Sandblast last week, uh, were, were you thinking about your next cocktail or were you thinking about, I'm still not sure that we could get enough pressure off the edge with the new faces in the mix at defensive end. Tell the truth. Uh, it was a little bit of both, a little bit of both. Uh, <laughs> because obviously, and, and, and it'll be a year or three or five later, when we talk about what uh, Florida State's now departed defensive ends and, and Thomas and Johnson were able to do. But I, like many, and I think you're in this ballpark too, so encouraged by the new kids that have come in and the ability to get pressure off the edge that uh, we may be building something here. We may be building something here. Depending on where Johnson goes, where Keir goes in terms of the of the draft, uh, which is coming up in a little bit. Um, this may be the start of something that is pretty special for Florida state defensively. What are your thoughts? Well, no, I, I agree. I agree with that. And we'll let, let's save that and dive into that a little bit later on. But it, uh, on the one hand, I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about everything that's happened so far in spring. On the other hand, uh, you're not playing somebody with a different Jersey and it's easy to, to drink a little too much Kool-Aid right now. Uh, I'm going to go out to practice again tomorrow on Thursday and, and watch him. Uh, maybe formulate some more opinions, but no, I, I think it, it, this is, this is, uh, I feel like throughout this whole last five year period, whatever we're going to name this, this period, we've all been looking for the easy button. 
And I know we go back to Jimbo sometimes about everybody's worried about the result. We got to focus on the process, but, but that's actually true. And we're all worried about the result and we want the easy button to go to 12 and 0. There's not an easy button that's taken this team from last year to 12 and 0. I, I do think that a, a big step forward is in order. And I think that will happen this year, whether or not that big step equates to seven wins uh, and you lose some close ones or nine wins and you get lucky to get to nine and you have injury luck. I don't know but it's definitely going the right direction. I know this, Tom, and you and I have been around this program for a long time. Uh, you know, I arrived in Tallahassee in 1977. For those that want to do the math, I'm old. Um, I love the foundation that's being set. I love the fact that Coach Norvell and his staff are not necessarily looking for the quick fix. Yes, the transfer portal is a reality in today's game, and and yes, you may get fortunate enough to get a, a player or two or three that can come up and uh, come in and help immediately. But they're investing time and effort in the incoming freshmen. They're investing time and effort in the redshirt kids. As you and I've talked about, there are more kids on the spring practice field simply because of early enrollment and that type of thing. So the opportunity to, to grow is there. And it's like everything else. There are no longer any easy fixes in the game of college football. You have to lay the foundation. It has to be strong. It has to be appropriate. And it'll take some time. It's just the reality of what the game is right now. That's exactly true. All right. We'll hear from Bob Frante later in the show. He was at practice on Tuesday. And uh, we'll dive a little deeper into football. Keith, let's let's go down memory lane. We'll share a few stories on uh, – on Mean Gene, when we come back on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ back with you. Bob Ferrante joins us next segment uh, as we'll catch up on what's going on on the field. We will have... Talked about Gene, uh, rightly so, because it's going to be different for everybody. And, and I've been lucky enough to work with him for a lot of years. You worked with him, Keith. So we'll share some some stories. Uh, we can't we can't share all the stories in this forum, but we will have we will have Gene on the show at some point. I don't know when some point will be because when you're a legend like him, you're getting asked to do interviews by everybody every day of the week. And over the summer, you would think it slows down, but if you know Gene. Even if he's on vacation, which he and Ann will will have that mini Madden rolling all over, probably up to Maine again this summer, if I had to guess. Gene will be doing his depth charts as soon as the Buck schedule is out. And it may be June 12th, but he'll be somewhere in, in Bar Harbor and he'll be working on the depth chart for the Eagles and week 16 or whatever the Buck schedule looks like. When I talked to him on Thursday night, he called me before the announcement came up on Friday. He, he already started Jones Jones. We got Dallas. I'm, I'm just not sure who to put in the defensive end for Dallas. They've, 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 they've traded some people. They've signed some people. I'm going, Gene, that gum it's March, but he knew they were playing Dallas. Yeah. He's that's <laughs> one of the things. And that's a good point about Gene that, that people may assume because they listen and he's so good. Gene does more preparation and has done more preparation than any broadcaster I've ever worked with. And uh, it, it's voluminous. The, the amount that he puts together uh, and, and he always, and he's always tweaking and updating further. I mean, he literally an FSU Duke basketball game that's on the books for January 12th. 
he'll have his spotting charts done and it'll be August and he'll update it again in October and then in December. And that's just the way he's worked for all those years. And it's a big part of the reason why he's so talented and so good. He has the natural voice. He has the natural instinct, but what makes him great or the greatest versus just good is the work ethic. You will never find anybody that outworks Deckerhoff, period, the end. Uh, to the point where I started traveling the last five, seven years when I was doing basketball with him, Tommy, I bought a little portable printer and I'd carry it with me, you know, so I could update things. And Gene would, would call me or, or text me or knock on my hotel room and say, Jones, Jones, can I print out a new one? Can I print out a new one? I added some stuff. I want to print out a new one. I started carrying card stock because that's what he used for his spotting charts. I started carrying extra card stock just so I could print out Deckerhoff's charts when we needed them. And I was happy to do it. So he called your games, Keith, as you finished up your career. Uh, I'll let you go first on this one since you would have met him prior to when I did. Uh, what, what's your first recollection of or first memory with Gene? First memory of Gene is him being in our locker room after our first game in 1979. That was his first year doing football. I was a junior that year and started and played a lot. And what was interesting about it is we opened with Southern Miss that year of memory serves. In my sophomore year, the year prior, I was the primary punt returner. I was not very good, but I would catch the ball. We're down to Southern Miss at home, opening game of the 79 season, our undefeated season, as it turned out. And Gary Henry, who replaced me as the primary punt returner, actually returned a punt for a touchdown. The first time that had happened, I think the first time that had happened under Coach Bowden's career at Florida State, but that's immaterial. Henry returns the ball for the touchdown. We win the game. Deckerhoff is in the locker room after the game, and obviously he's congratulating Henry, and I'm sitting there. He comes up, introduces himself to me, that type of thing. He goes, Jones, Jones, you, you, you returned punts last year, right? I said, yes, sir, I did. He says, well, it's good that you weren't doing it this year. We'd have lost. Now I'm embellishing just a little bit, but that, that in memory is how my conversation goes. So, you know, my time with Gene is simply the fact that in 79, when he did the first game, I played in it. The first game, Tommy, you'll appreciate this. The first game I ever broadcast on the radio for FSU was in 1985. I was subbing for the late Vic Prinzi and I subbed for the Gator Bowl over in Jacksonville. And I'd actually did a game with Deckerhoff in 1985, my first game. And as I remember, I'm looking across a game that was Florida State won. They played Oklahoma State. I had spent some time the evening before with my one of my roommates and one of the greats from Florida State, Reggie Herring, who was the linebacker coach at Oklahoma State at the time, and spent time talking with Reggie about Oklahoma State's head coach and how young he was and how aggressive he was. And in 1985, the head coach for Oklahoma State University versus Florida State University in the 1985 Gator Bowl was one Jimmy Johnson. And so I got the opportunity to call a game on the other side with a, a obviously a Hall of Fame coach and, and Coach Johnson. I was right there with Coach Deckard. By the way, I met out in my restroom that night. So that story I'll save for another time. 
apologies if you're if you're hearing a little uh zoom garble there it's the way of the times there yeah and then jimmy moved on to miami the very next year so i met gene he did I, i met gene so i think gene will be okay with this i won't add any details to this keith but if you can picture this i met him in a hotel bar and that's a true story it was the night before the blockbuster bowl so in 1990 and I believe it was Tom Stipes was the general manager of the radio network for FSU at that time. I think it was host communications back then. And they needed a stats guy for the broadcast the next day. And so somehow I became the stats guy and he introduced me to Gene. Uh, and, and obviously he, Gene always makes you feel like a million bucks, uh, whether you've met him before or not. And uh, that was my first experience was keeping stats for him in the blockbuster bowl in 1990. And subsequently, I was in school then at FSU. I don't recall the exact timing on this, but I wound up for one of my courses. I went and did a paper on Gene, and he invited me out to his house and sat down and was gracious with his time, probably gave me an hour to ask dumb questions, turn them into some paper that I turned in to get a degree and get out of school. But that's that's kind of my first two memories of Gene, and then obviously I got the chance to work with him starting a few years later. But uh, it's been a fun run. Hard to believe it was that long ago. I know I sometimes sit down and have to, you know, take the socks off and use the toes to talk about all the years that are involved. Uh, and to your credit, uh, one of the other sidebars to that is uh, as you were getting started in your career, uh, I was fortunate enough to Jones to join uh, sunshine network in 88 and either 88 or 89, one persistent Mr. Tom block uh, persuaded one Keith Jones and Paul Kennedy to travel out to a, a very, a very dilapidated studio type place out off park Avenue and do a radio interview. And uh, that was the first time you and I met. And as we left, I told, uh, I told PK, I said, I don't know much about Tom Locke, but he's a pretty aggressive and, and, and spirited kind of guy. He may be able to make something of himself in this business. I'm not <laughs> sure, but maybe that'll happen. That was the old WTAL studios and longtime Tallahassee's, uh, uh, if you're wondering what the crack shack was that was on Park Avenue near Reese Park Lane, uh, it's since been leveled. Yep. Uh, that was WTAL radio back in the day. Um, anyway, uh, over the years, I guess the thing I would say about Gene, I mean, you and I could share stories like this. The, the thing to me, and I've articulated this to others, that Gene does better than anybody else I can think of that I listen to. He keeps his enthusiasm and his energy up, even if the home team, even if Florida State's getting drilled on the basketball court or the football field or the Bucks are, and even if the outcome of the game is not hanging in the balance, i.e. it's a four-touchdown game with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter, if you tune in, you don't recognize that. You think the game just kicked off and it's the opening drive and everything is hanging in the balance. And, and for that, he deserves a world of credit because that's not easy to do, and he's terrific at it. The two, the two words, the phrase that comes to me, Tom, it's overused sometimes, but it's totally appropriate in this case, is consummate professional. You know, I, I, like you, got several calls on Friday when the announcement came up from various media folks wanting to, you know, get a quote or have a conversation. And, and I was proud and pleased to relay, and I know you echo this, the biggest thing about Gene is he was completely transparent. He was completely honest. He was that enthusiastic. If you've ever had a conversation with him that had nothing to do with sports, you'd know the same thing. 
He never talked badly about anyone. That was one thing Coach Bowden always said. He said, I never heard Gene say anything negative about anybody. And I would echo that. I never have as well. And just a great person. As you mentioned, you met him for the first time. He made you feel like the best friend that he'd ever had. And we were both just very, very fortunate and very blessed to have had time with him. And, and by no means are we saying that anything's going away or going bad. His health is good. Annie's good. Hopefully, they'll get to travel. He'll show up at ball games, as he said, and do a, he'll dance to the war chant. But we will miss him being on the air. We will. I'm glad you mentioned his health because I've been asked that. People are wondering. That was the first thing I was asked. And it's the second thing he told me when he called me after he said he was retiring. He said, my health is good. The time is right. Said, okay. But I just want to clarify that for our listeners' sake. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, come back. Bob Ferrante is uh, in the on-deck circle, and he joins us next right here on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles and our Osceola Insider, Bob Frante joins us now. Bob, appreciate it as always. And uh, Keith and I were just strolling down memory lane with stories about Gene, who we each have had a chance to work with for a number of years. But you, you've been around Florida State for a long time, so I know you've had interactions with Gene, too. What, what's the top, What's the first story that comes to mind or sticks out for you in, in terms of com- conversing with Gene? I think, honestly, my favorite memories are just asking a question and then knowing to shut up and listen because Gene's just going to tell great stories and he's going to keep going. He's, he's a wonderful interview because you don't have to interject very much. He, he just jumps right in. You know, Jerry and I had the, the pleasure of sitting down with Gene on, on Monday for a, for a nice video interview that, that Jerry did. And um, Gene was really gracious with his time to kind of go down memory lane with his favorite calls, how he got into broadcasting. I mean, I think everybody knows this, but he did a, a little league baseball game in Palatka and that was his entry into uh, into sports broadcasting, and, and it took off from there, obviously. But it, it, it was just fun to be kind of a fly on the wall on Monday to uh, to listen to Jerry and Gene talk, and just just have enjoyed the stories. And you know, you know, with Gene, he was I view him as the soundtrack of our Saturdays. You know, so many great memories watching football and basketball, and and Gene was on the call and. And through the years, I think his voice has endured in an area in an era where maybe social media took over too. But then his call would go over the video and it would go out on social media. So there were kind of new ways for us to, I think, appreciate Gene's, you know, voice and emotion and energy within those big, big moments. One of the, the things part, we- guys about him, excuse me, Tom, the other part about him is, you know, many broadcasters will will rehearse or think about phrases or expressions genes to my knowledge you correct me guys if you know differently but those trademark things were spontaneous at the time touchdown florida state three two one touchdown fire yeah, them I th- cannons i, I that think was that's all, right that was all not scripted and then he was smart enough to to know that that was a catch phrase and then he began using it but they were not created they were spontaneous, and I think that's just unbelievably gifted on his part. Yeah, well, and that's the way it should be. I mean, Jim Nance catches some flack about that, you know, for whatever he's going to say when somebody wins the Masters or at the end of it when they cut down the nets at the Final Four. 
that he had something already scripted, depending on which team won. The, the better way, it's got to be spontaneous. It, it can't be scripted to pull that off. Uh, man, we could we could continue with Gene stories here. Uh, I just lost track of what I was going to say next. We'll we'll stop for now on the Gene stories, Bob. Let's get back to the practice field, which you were out there on Tuesday. Uh, first of all, did it look like a team that had been on spring break for 11 days, or did they pick right up where they left off? <laughs> there was, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think anybody wants to hear this. But, yeah, it, it was kind of lethargic. It looked like a team that had taken a break and kind of needed to get back in rhythm, especially on the offensive side of things. I mean, I mean we all understand how when you take a break, the, the offense is going to be back behind because chemistry and rhythm are, are just part of day-to-day operation so i think we saw a better day overall from the defense but you know you still see the good competition you still see good one-on-one battles i i didn't have a problem with the energy it didn't feel like there was a, a lack of effort or anything like that but but yeah it was definitely a first day getting back out there um but it, it was good to hear about a variety of things i mean you know obviously winston wright had that auto injury in savannah and coach norvell was able to give us a, a pretty pretty clear update that that Winston is doing well in good spirits. They've been able to FaceTime with him. Um, again, for those who maybe have, haven't kept up, he was in a passenger seat of a car in Savannah that was struck. And um, he's he's going to be on an extended period of time from what Coach Norvell said. So that's, that's obviously very unfortunate for him. But, you know, Coach Norvell relaying that it was a, it was a pretty significant car accident. And, and they're very thankful that that it wasn't far worse. So um, I think definitely answered prayers there for, for Winston. Well, thanks. I was going to ask you about that. So that's, that's good news there, but yeah, significant would indicate well beyond spring practice before he's going to be able to start trying to rehab and, and that, uh, and that's speculation on my part. I wasn't there to hear the way Norvell put it. I'm just, I'm making that assumption based on the way you just put it. Hey, the new, the new locker room and the buzz that associated it around on social media the other night, were the players not aware that was coming? Was that truly a surprise that they renovated it over spring break or, or fill us in on that? You know, it, it's a good question because the emotion in the moment on social media seemed pretty, pretty raw and pretty incredible. The players were genuinely excited. I, I have a feeling that, that they might've known because I think it was kind of out there that this was being worked on as a project. It was something that I think a few of the news outlets that cover course, they had mentioned it, but you know, looking at that video, looking at the photos, I, I think maybe even if you knew it was coming, it was something really, really special that they could come back to and, and maybe give them some energy, you know, short term about what they can do in their careers. I, I thought it was interesting. Also, Coach Norvell saying on Tuesday that a great deal of attention has been put on the football only facility, the fundraising, the long term goals there. But for the players to have this right now for them to be able to appreciate it. It's just part of, yes, an appreciation to the boosters, to the donors for what they've done, but the players can kind of feel that, that embrace from the Florida state community. And, and it, it does help. I think the players propel them forward. They're very proud of it. You can see the enthusiasm. I, I thought it was really cool to watch that on Sunday night too. Well, and guys, let's not, let's not forget. And this is true for all of us. I mean, I'm not an interior designer. I'm not an architect. I, you know, you tell me that something's being renovated, I might have a little bit of a thought as to what that's going to look like. But unless and until I actually see it, I can't appreciate it. Well, you know, I'm 63. That's no different from an 18 to 22 year old. 
and for their ability for them to come in and see what had actually been done, because I assure you, none of them would have come up with the way it was on their own. I mean, that's a that's a that's a truly neat present if you want to think about it. It leads to a larger point, Bob, and this is something for for fish or I know you dive into recruiting some, but considering where Florida state has been in recent years on the college football landscape, it really feels like coach Norvell and his staff have found a way to continually create a buzz, even without having a nice shiny 11 win season or college football playoff appearance on the, on the books. It just seems like just when we think, well, what are they going to do now? Then lo and behold, I see some buzz created and I hear that, you know, there's a hundred kids on campus and a lot of them are really talented. It just seems to continue. Yeah. And it's tough to compare because there's so many power five schools, but I think you could argue for a program like Florida state, where it is right now to use social media, um, the power of video photos, various posts to use the slingshot that coach Norvell created last summer ahead of the, you know, the, the June one reopening of, of recruiting season to to kind of create that buzz. You have to do that. You have to create some kind of attention to to just catch eyeballs on social media. And I think it has brought in, um, you know, a lot of prospects. I, I think a lot of guys are choosing to come to Tallahassee. We see it every day in the open practices. There are hundreds of prospects at practices. I can't tell you if there are three stars, four stars, whatnot. They are, they are curious. And, and that's, that's good. You want curious. You want guys to come up to make the trip to Tallahassee from, you know, all points around the state in the Southeast, just to kind of see, Hey, this is a really neat campus. They've got a great new locker room. The coaches have a lot of energy. It, it does kind of build something where I think guys then decide, do I want to come back? Do I want to make a, an official visit, an unofficial do I want to come to a camp over the summer? So, yeah, I think they're doing their job. They're using social media exquisitely well throughout the pandemic because they had to without ha being able to build relationships. But since then, really since June 1 of last year, they've done it about as well as anybody I can think of just trying to spark and make connections with prospects. The other thing, guys, and, and you'll never hear Coach Norvell talk about it, but the other part of it is, is the ability of these assistant coaches to, to quote unquote, recruit effectively. Uh, you know, back in the day, it was getting in a rental car and going and seeing four or five high school games or a spring game uh, in one day and, and having to work hard. Today's recruiting is more about doing it effectively and efficiently. And, and utilizing those tools that are now available from a communication standpoint in order to uh, keep in contact with these kids. And I, that's what I've been impressed with. I, I would fail, guys, this will come as no surprise to you or no surprise to our listeners. But if I was an assistant college football coach right now, I'd be failing miserably <laughs> as a recruiter because I'd still be trying to call them on a telephone and get them on a landline. And that just doesn't work anymore. No, it's a different area. Hey, Bob, I'm going to jump in on this because, Keith, when you were talking about that story about hitting the road, it made me think of a, a, a great Jim Gladden line. So, Keith, you cannot answer this question. I already but, know. I already know. Bob, Bob, do you know what a poke in Plumtown is? 
I have no clue. I've heard my favorite Gladden is the 1099 W2 guy. He wants guys who are full-time, fully invested W2 types. But I have no idea to your reference there. Okay. Well, Jim recruited a lot of rural areas, and he once told me about going to Poke and Plum Towns. I said, a Poke and Plum Town? He said, you poke your head out the car, you plumb out of town. <laughs> and it's the greatest recruiting line I've ever heard. And that was Jim Gladden back in the day, a poke and plumb. And for guy. the record, Jim Gladden is absolutely primary, 100% responsible for bringing me to Florida State. He was my primary <laughs> re recruiter out of Wildwood. Well, and with due respect, you you come from a poke and plumb town, Keith. <laughs> I do. I do, in fact. I do, in fact. All right. Hey, let's, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed that we're this far into the show, Keith. And, and I, I failed. We talked a lot about Gene. Obviously we work with Gene closely. We, we have not brought up Sue Semrau and her announcement of retirement and uh, that's remiss. So apologies, coach Sue. I sent her a text when I saw the news. Uh, I was, I was shocked in the moment, not surprised overall, given as I reflected back on, on her taking a leave of absence and spending time with her mom and reflecting on her career and all those type things. Uh, but man, she did such a damn good job of elevating that program to where it is now. 16 out of 17 years in the NCAA tournament. And that program was not just dead last in the ACC. It was a laughing stock when she took over. Uh, I won't go further on that, Bob, but I see you shaking your head. I know you've got some, some fond memories of Sue, too. Yeah, it was rough. Those those five years before Sue, they won 40 games and she gradually built them. It, it did take time. But she gradually built them into a uh, a consistent program that expects to be in the NCAA tournament, and I I think her her secret is is really nothing surprising if you know her. She is such a connector, a people person, um, values the person, then the student, then the basketball player. She has her priorities very much right, and and I was um, I was stunned like you I think to see the email on Monday. But definitely kind of I, I think she had the, the luxury of that year away to know that she needed to make family a priority. She needed to um, take a look at the big picture. I, I think family and and COVID have kind of made us do that these last few years. And, and I I appreciate Sue for just being who she was through the years. She was, uh, you know, not just gracious in her time, but gracious in in spending time with people and getting to build relationships and um I, I think she's – you can hear it when you talk to the players. You know, her players remember her so fondly. It, it's been a diff difficult couple of days for them, but they remember her for so many special reasons. Guys, two things jump out at me. Number one, 24 years coaching, 470 victories. And I'm not real good at math, but that's right. 20 wins this season. 16 out of seven years going to tournament. Another thing, and this speaks to what you were mentioning, Bob, uh, and Tom did many more women's games than I did, but I was fortunate enough to do a few. And when Sue knew that you were doing the game, whether it be radio or television, she didn't rely on her sports information people to convey information to you. She'd come over and visit with you. She'd come over and ask you, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can help you with? She'd call you on the telephone. I mean, she went out of her way to make sure whoever was covering her team had the opportunity to ask and to know any and everything about her team. She was the consummate professional. I use that term with Gene. I'll use it with Sue. The consummate professional. 
structure from a media stamp, a media standpoint, you had what you needed to make her squad look as good as they could look, regardless of what the wins and the losses. Yeah, she was, she was great. Uh, and, and fortunately this got cut out of the release about her retirement, Keith, I don't know if you know this, but the original release, I talked to, to Steve about this. Uh, there was a quote from her that she was going to come back for one more year, but after sitting through 10 minutes of dumb questions from me and you last week, Keith, she said, I can't do it. I just got to step away. And that was the final nail. I mean, that, that, that was the final straw uh, that, that made the, that led to the decision. Well, Tommy, I've told you for years and years, I'm the straw that stirs this drink. I just wasn't aware that I was the straw that broke the back. Yeah, well, now you're both. So you add another bullet to your resume, Keith, in case you decide to come out of two-thirds retirement. Hey, uh, but good luck to Sue in her next venture. Bob, uh, appreciate it. We'll let you uh, get, get back at it, whatever it is. But we appreciate it as always, and we'll see talk soon. Take care. All right, our Osceola insider, Bob Frante, and we'll have more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles to finish things up. Appreciate Bob joining us. I'm, I'm remiss that I didn't bring up Coach Sue earlier uh, in the show, Keith. Uh, she she really when when you get to the point and it's been this way for a while that the NCAA tournament is just expected you may not realize the depths from which that program rose and I I know firsthand because when I was in school I traveled with the women's basketball team that's actually the first play by play that I did but Marinelle Metters was the head coach then this was in the Metro Conference days they won the right. conference tournament on the way out. And then transitioned to the ACC, which was a whole new level. And then uh, Marinelle moved on, and there was coaching transition. And anyway, that's when things started to go the wrong direction. And, and Sue took over after Chris Gobrecht had been coached for a year, and that didn't go well. And I, I think it's easy to look at it now and say, "Well, you know, you win twenty every year, no big deal." No, that that does no justice at all to to the state of that program when she arrived. She's been phenomenal. Ability to recruit retain staff. Um, I mean, it 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 will go. You know, at the time of her departure, she was the longest tenured coach in Florida State at the time. I mean, she'd been longer than Leonard had been there. Uh, she also two things about Sue. She always tells the story about her relationship with Bobby Bowden and how it was an unbridgement to her. And, and she would talk about times that she went to him for suggestions, advice, and he was always there for her. And the other part, and you've experienced this as well, you would go to a shoot round. If you were doing the game, you remember how she'd end the shoot round? She would make the announcers come up and try to sink free, uh, uh, half court shots. So I'm out there, games I'm doing, I'm out there, I'm not even getting the ball anywhere near the goal, and they're all laughing at me. And, and you know what? It was okay. Because you knew what the intent was, and it was the, the intent was to make you a part of that program. Yeah, we wish her the best. That was uh, really a, just a tremendous job. It's hard to, for me to believe that it was nearly a quarter century. And it makes Leonard Hamilton the longest tenured coach at FSU now, uh, which that too is amazing. He started in the early Correct. 2000s. You were a part of it. 
And uh, but but that said, there's been a lot of long tenured coach I, I, coaches. I talked with Lonnie Alameda the other night. Feels like she's new. She's in her 14th year. Dwayne Colt, Holtquist has been here for a long time coaching men's tennis. Trey Jones has been here on the golf side. Jen Hyde's been here. Uh, Bob Brayman. I mean, there, there's Coach still Poole a lot of just signed a new three year contract. He's been here 12 or 13. Yeah, you're right. So. Uh, it, it speaks to, to the culture and what's in place, and, and, and that's a reason why there's such success at these levels. But good luck to Coach Sue. Good luck to Gene. Any, any last Gene stories you want to share in this final 90 seconds or so, Keith? Just the, the fact that Gene always made anyway. When we would go to the ACC tournament, that's when Gene, his spotlight, because of the other announcers – wanted to talk to Gene. So you'd walk through the lobby of the, of the hotel and, and Gene would consider get stopped by his peers who wanted to visit with him and talk with him and have a chance to take a picture with him. I mean, getting through the lobby of the, of the hotel at the ACC tournament was like traveling with a rock star. And Gene would stop and spend time with everybody and anybody and make them, as I mentioned earlier, make them feel like they were his best friend. It was just amazing to see folks and how they were him. Yeah, he was a rock star. And he, uh, one lesson he taught me, Keith, he might have learned this from Bobby. Uh, as you know, Bobby always referred to everybody as buddy. Hey, buddy, good to see you. So you always felt like you knew Bobby. Well, well, jeans and, and salespeople do this. People who are good with names or maybe not good with names know this trick, but never say nice to meet you when somebody says hello. Always say good to see you. Because invariably, if Gene says Correct. nice to meet you, the person points out that they've met him 12 times before over the last 32 years, and it's hard to keep track of that. So that's it's a good little tip. I don't know where Gene picked it up, but I he passed it on to me, and I've uh, I've tried to abide by that. Always good to see you. Keith, it's been hey, good Tommy, to see you tonight. Tommy. We'll do it again next week. Tommy, always good to see you. Always good to see you. <laughs> He's Keith. I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.